will record for us the blowing of the fifth and the sixth trumpets. Uh, the fifth and the sixth trumpets. The first floor were blown at the end of, of Revelation chapter 8. Now let's hear this reading out of God's word. Uh, and the fifth angel blew his trumpet. And I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit. And from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth. And they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. The first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still to come. Uh, then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, and the month, the month and the year, were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads. And fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the work of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, or their sorceries, or their sexual immorality, or their thefts. And this ends this reading in God's word. Well, let's once again seek the face of God in prayer. Oh, living God in heaven, we uh, believe that this is your word. It is true in every part. And we pray, O oh Lord, Holy Spirit of God, come and illumine our minds, 
Grant that we would understand this truth. Help us to believe it and to apply it to our lives. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. After the blasting of the first four trumpets at the end of Revelation chapter 8, in verse 13, it says that John looked and he heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Last week, we looked at the first four of these trumpets, uh, and we saw that these trumpets sounded forth warnings into this present world of the coming judgment of God. But however great those trumpets were, and they were great indeed, the, or this eagle now says, woe, woe, woe for those who face the blasts of these other trumpets that are about to blow. And we are going to look today at the next two of these trumpets. Now, you'll remember that we said last week uh, that these seven trumpet blasts that are heard do not describe each one of them a single specific event that will come immediately preceding the second coming of Jesus Christ. But rather that each of these trumpet blasts describe things that will happen throughout the period between Christ's first and second comings. And so these were words that were relevant for John's first century hearers. They are relevant for us today in the 21st century. They will be relevant for every age until that day when the Lord Jesus Christ appears. And these are trumpet blasts, which means that these are different ways in which the Lord sends warnings to us, his pe uh, to, uh, to the known world. He sends warnings to the world that they might realize that there is a judgment to come and might flee in faith to the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. Now, the first four trumpet blasts describe things that were more physical occurrences in this world. These next two trumpet blasts, in which there are greater woes, describe for us spiritual woes that take place in this uh, world. Uh, these trumpets in particular, in chapter 9, are going to open before our eyes a spiritual dimension of this present world and show for us evil powers that afflict the lives of people with misery and with dread. Now, this was a strange vision indeed. Uh, perhaps as we read it, uh, you were a bit confused. The imagery that is painted is uh, unusual. Some people, upon reading this, might say, well, this is where the book of Revelation begins to get really weird. Well, it may be a little weird, but it's an inspired weirdness, okay? And it's going to tell us truth that you and I need to hear about the world in which we live. And in particular, what it opens for us is the reality of a spirit world with angels and with demons and demons that are active in this world. And so that's what we're going to consider today, looking at these fifth and sixth trumpet Blast. First of all, we're going to consider the demon's location. Secondly, the demon's activity. 
Thirdly, the demon's limits. But then fourth, our necessary response. Okay, so this fifth and sixth trumpet opens for us the demon's location, the demon's activity, the demon's limits, but then our necessary uh, response. Well, first of all, we see uh, the demon's location. Uh, verse 1 tells us that at the blasting of this fifth trumpet, that there John sees a star which had fallen from heaven to earth. Now, this star clearly represents a personal figure who, as we're going to see, is one who acts. And in reality, it matches up perfectly with what we know about Satan, who himself was a fallen angel. Isaiah 14 and verse 12, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. Here is indeed an angel which has fallen from heaven uh, down to earth, but then we are told that he has given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit, to the great abyss, which represents hell. And here he opens this shaft of the bottomless pit, and immediately upon that shaft being opened, we're told there is a smoke as of a great furnace, that arises. In fact, it is so great, the smoke, that the whole sun and the air themselves are darkened by this ascending smoke. It's an image that is dark and foreboding. It, it seems to be almost straight out of a horror movie, doesn't it? This is a scary scene. This shaft to a bottomless pit opened and smoke filling the entire air. But it gets even scarier. Suddenly, out of this smoke, we're told, in verse 3, come locusts. And they come on the earth. And it's clearly, by the description, not just a few locusts here or there, but a whole plague of them. This has clear background in the Old Testament. Other uh, times of uh, warnings of judgment, you may recall the ten plagues that were uh, 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 delivered against Egypt. One of those plagues was a plague of locusts, Exodus 10, verses 14 and 15. We're told there that the locusts came up all over the land of Egypt and they settled on the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense swarm of locusts as had never been seen before nor ever will be again. And they covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened. And they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field, throughout all of the land uh, of Egypt. Uh, locusts themselves are extraordinarily destructive, one of the worst plagues that could ever happen. And this is why even Joel, you'll remember the prophecy of Joel, prophesies as one of the instruments of God's judgment, a plague of locusts that comes upon the land. Well, here, once again, we are told that there are locusts which now descend, as it were, from that bottomless pit. Now, locusts normally destroy vegetation. Uh, in fact, a locust plague in the years 2003 to 2005 in East Africa uh, created $3.5 billion of crop damage. That's what locusts do. 
But these locusts here are instructed not to torment crops. You'll notice that, verse 4, do not harm the grass of the earth or any green plant of any tree, but rather they are to torment people. The demon's fury is laid in all of its power against the people of this earth. And so that's the image that's given. Locusts, which themselves are symbolic of demons, coming from the pit of hell, a great number of them, which in the same way that locusts normally destroy vegetation, they have come to torment the people of this earth. Well, we're going to get to other parts of that vision in just a little bit later, but let's move down now to the sixth trumpet, beginning in verse 13. Here, and see the demon's location here. Uh, This is a slightly different vision, uh, but it's similar in some ways. Okay, Uh, we're told the blasting of this trumpet, there's a sixth angel who has the trumpet, and he says, verse 14, to release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And so these four angels then were released to kill a third of mankind. Now these angels that are spoken of here clearly are not good angels. Uh, Good angels are usually sent or commissioned for a godly task. Rather, these are clearly uh, evil angels or once again demons, perhaps leaders of the demons. They had been bound, but now they are released. And they had been bound, it says, at the, uh, at the great river uh, Euphrates. Now, why Euphrates? Well, the Euphrates was at the very eastern edge of the land of God that had been promised to Abraham. So if you think of the promised land in the promises of the Old Testament that had been given to the people of God, that picture of the kingdom of God extended to the Euphrates River. So here it's speaking of those that are outside of the kingdom of God. It's once again a picture of of demons, of spiritual forces of evil who reside, as it were, outside the kingdom, now being released to do their activity. And similarly, actually, in the first century, uh, 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 in the region of the Euphrates was the Parthian Empire. Uh, It was a land of great military might that posed a threat to the Roman Empire. So to speak here of the Euphrates again uh, would speak of a great military might. And so we're told that these four angels, these wicked angels who had been prepared for that day, now, as it were, uh, lead forth mounted troops into battle. An army is raised up. And it's an army much bigger than any that you could ever imagine. It says the number, verse 16, of these mounted troops were twice 10,000 times 10,000. Anybody good at math? Okay. 200 million strong, this army. That's what it is. 200 million strong. Well, this, like... Uh, So much of Revelation, again, is these are symbolic images, figurative images. But the picture here is very clear. It's of a demonic army, too many to count, coming to wage war against the inhabitants of this earth. And so we have a picture of locusts 
coming to torment. We have this picture of this 200 million horses and their riders. Pictures of demons coming to do battle. Who's at their head? Verse 11 tells us who's at the head of these locusts. They have as king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit. His name, and then it calls him both in Hebrew and in Greek, but it's the name which means destroyer or destruction. Again, it is likely speaking there of Satan himself who stands at the head of these vast number of demons. Do you see what this passage is doing for us? This passage is, as it were, lifting the veil from this visible world that you and I live in and that we see and that we walk in day by day. And it allows us to see demonic spiritual powers that are at work in the world in which we live. Now, do you believe in the reality of this spiritual world? Well, if you believe the Bible, you must. Christ Jesus himself spoke often about Satan. He interacted with Satan. He spoke of his activity. He spoke of Satan's overthrow. He is that strong man which Christ came to bind. He is the one who tempted Jesus when he was in the wilderness. And the Bible clearly reveals time and again that there are uh, spiritual forces of evil that are at work under Satan. Ephesians 6 and verse 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against who? The rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Or Ephesians 1 and uh, uh, the end of Ephesians 1, speaking about the victory of Jesus Christ when he was ascended. We are told that he was seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. Ephesians 1.21, far above what? All rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So Jesus is king. He's supreme. But dear friends, he is supreme over a real enemy that exists. Over all rule, authority, power, dominion. There's all sorts of evil forces in this world. Dear friends, you and I can make too much of demons. It's true. But we also are very much in danger of making far too little of them as well. And Revelation 9 points out to us that in the midst of this world, there are demonic activities. Satan is at work. The demon's location. Secondly, let's now consider the demon's activity. What is it that these demons are doing in this world? Well, let's go back to these locusts, okay? It again, describes these demons. And these locusts are strange-looking. Okay? And the description of them really indicates the activity with which they engage. Now remember, again, this is not just a physical uh, description. Uh, rather, this, it's a symbolic description. The, the symbols, the, the vision that John sees represents something. It tells us about the activity and the character of these demonic uh, beings. And we read of it in, beginning in verse 7. It says, first of all, in appearance, the locusts were like horses that were prepared for battle. And so that tells us that they were powerful, doesn't it? 
And then it goes on to say that on their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. That is, they had faced some level of success in their conquest. They were bent on conquest. Their faces were like human faces. So in other words, they are intelligent. They're rational, even as mankind is uh, God's rational creation. So uh, demons are like that as well. They think and they scheme and they act. They have hair like women's hair. It can be alluring, even seductive. Teeth like lion's teeth that is ferocious in their intent. Breastplates like breastplates of iron that is invincible, at least by human effort. They cannot be conquered. They, the noise of their wings of these locusts is like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. Again, imagine a battle scene, overwhelming noise. It's a frightening scene that is described. And then they have tails and stings like scorpions with the power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. We're told the same back in verse uh, 3, that they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. Or verse 5, they were allowed to torment for five months. Their torment is like that of a scorpion when it stings someone. So the, the image three times in these verses is that these sting, they hurt, they torment, they are for the destruction of those that they come uh, against. And interestingly, it even says that their power to hurt is in their tails. And so uh, one writer said that they leave their devastation behind after the fun has been had. Well, doesn't this describe demonic activity? Don't you see what this is saying? That these demons who are at work are demons that are powerful and bent on conquest and intelligent in their scheming and seductive, and yet they're ferocious. They don't work for people's good, but they seek to torment and to hurt those that they are against. And there is this evidence, friends, of Satan's activity in the world in which we live. Is this not carried out in the world in which we live today? Does not Satan and demons tempt people? And they say to them that they can have all that this world offers, money, success, fame, talents. And then they leave an aching void when those things fail to satisfy. Do not demons work in this way, leading people to revel in the freedom to indulge, free from any restraints, Sex, drinking, drugs, pornography. And yet, what, where does this leave them? Before these people find themselves enslaved to the very things that they think that they have freedom to enjoy. Do not these demons tempt people to walk away from God? Because God gets in the way of the life that I want to live. He's an unnecessary relic from a prior age. But what do they find out in the end? That life apart from God is utterly meaningless and has no lasting joy. Do you see Satan tempts and he allures and he seduces and he works and he schemes and yet always in the end he hurts and he enslaves. 
And the result of Satan's work in this world today is that people reject God and his standards. They seek to live for themselves, but in living for themselves, they are often left empty and frustrated and joyless and despairing. Verse 6 even describes it this way, that in these days people will seek death, but they will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. So is the emptiness which Satan brings to people in this world. He hurts and he destroys, even as he allures people unto godliness. That's the work of these demons. Well, the sixth trumpet also gives us the description of the demonic activity. Okay, you'll remember this sixth trumpet describes these mounted horsemen, 200 million strong. Uh, verse 16 describes the number of the mounted troops as uh, uh, twice 10,000 times 10,000. Verse 17 that they wore breastplates the color of fire and sapphire and of sulfur. The heads of the horses like lion's heads, again, ferocious in their activity. Verse 19, uh, we are told that the power of the horses is in their mouth and in their tails. Like the locusts, their tails, okay, they sting. They're like, it says, like serpents with heads, they wound. Uh, with their tails. What a picture this is of this demonic activity, of what they are doing. What, does, uh, what, what specifically do these horsemen refer to? Well, uh, different commentators have different guesses at this point. Uh, some commentators, and this may be correct, say that it is referring to warfare in this world. That is, that the demons incite humans to war. That's why these demons here actually kill a third of mankind. And hasn't human history been filled with a warfare? Now, some warfare, obviously, is engaged in necessarily out of self-defense to protect other people. But the reason for any warfare is uh, certainly the unjust aggression of another and so war always has sin as its source. And so in this world in which filled with sinful human beings, it's saying uh, uh, there's demonic activity that causes humans to kill uh, one another. And war is terrible. It kills and destroys so many. Often it's so senseless. And it happens so frequently in human history. I mean, it's happening as we speak now over in the Ukraine hardly a time in human history in which there are not people at war with one another. And so some say this is referring to demons inciting warfare. That's why the military image. But other commentators say, and I think that this is most likely correct, is that the danger of these demons, these horsemen demons here, uh, refers primarily to the false teaching that demons spread. Did you notice the reference over and again in these verses to their mouths? Verse 17, it speaks of fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. Verse 18, it speaks of a third of mankind killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur that are coming out of their Mouths. Verse 19, the power of the horses is in their uh, mouths. There seems to be some emphasis here on the, the mouth 
So I think that it is most likely that this is referring to the false teaching, the false ideas, the false messages that are spread, again, as a result of demonic activity in this world. Now, in our age of tolerance, most people hardly think of false teaching as a kind of danger. People are very happy for there to be lots of religions, lots of moralities, lots of beliefs. It's viewed as a positive thing that there are a variety of opinions and interpretations and approaches to truth in this world. It makes the world so much a better place that you have your perspective on truth and I have, I have mine. But dear friends, this kind of viewpoint and this kind of variety of views is actually, this text says, is promoted and empowered by demonic spirits. Demons desire that a variety of views would be promulgated, one considered as good as the next. Yeah, let's promulgate a, a variety of religions, a variety of viewpoints, a variety of moralities. Why is that? Because when such a variety is promulgated, what it does is it obscures the truth. And it obscures the only truth about who God really is and what he has done to save sinners through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Where false teachings spread, the glorious truth of the gospel is then considered as just one opinion among many. And is that not the day and age in which we live? You see, when the Bible speaks of truth, it presents the gospel, friends, as a message that is to be sounded. A message that is to be sounded clearly and distinctly and powerfully. There is one truth that is saving truth. And everything and anything that obscures the one truth of Holy Scripture is teaching that is straight from the pit of hell. So this is Satan's activity in this world. And so I simply ask you, do you see this kind of evidence of demonic activity in this world? Do you see Satan's handiwork? That when people, as it were, give themselves over to oppose God and to reject his word, then the Lord sends these evil powers that even torment them with misery and ultimately destroy them. We live in a world in which Satan's handiwork is seen. Now, most of the world would never, ever acknowledge that they are enslaved to Satan, but that's exactly what they are. They are enslaved to Satan who has conquered him. They, they serve, as Ephesians 2.2 makes clear, they serve the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. They are subject to demonic activity. And this means that, our, what's our response to that as Christians? Well, on the one hand, it means that we must hate Satan and his ways and long for the overthrow of his kingdom. It means as well that we ought to have some compassion on uh, the unbelieving world. You know, there are, there are a few things worse in this world than when a native population is, um, suffers uh, from a foreign invading army. Okay, I mean, think of, 
to pick one example among many, think of the Nazis at the beginning of World War II taking over most of Europe. What do, what do they do? They come and they, they establish immediate authority. They, they take over homes. They, they, they overturn shops. At times they sexually abuse women. Okay? They, they, they come in. They're in a foreign and invading army. Uh, they, they, they bring people before the firing line for even the smallest offense, or even if they are suspected of an offense, uh, they're killed. It's terror to be enslaved by such a foreign invading army. Well, dear friends, we need to view this world as under a kind of slavery that is even far worse than that. There is, as it were, an invading army that is seeking not their good, but their torment. And there are millions upon millions of people who are being tormented and enslaved by a worse foe than this. All who are still under their sin, in their sins are subject to the terror of this army. We heard on Wednesday night about Papua New Guinea. Well, the people there are subject to the enslavement of Satan. We heard this morning in our... Uh, Sunday school hour of, of another people and who are also in their unbelief are subject to Satan and to his power. Dear friends, the whole of the world, and we could talk about, we could talk about the, the Middle East under, uh, 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 and, un, under Muslim rule. We could speak of the Western world under, in the throes of secularism. We could go on and on, friends, but everyone who has not bowed the knee to Jesus is subject to this kind of a demonic activity. Satan and his armies are at work. Souls are being enslaved. Now, are people sinners? Yes. Are they responsible for their sin? Yes. Are they daily bringing more misery upon themselves by their conscious choice to sin? Yes. But they are also enslaved and dominated and subject to the activity of this demonic world. It's the fifth and the sixth trumpets that are blown. That's the world in which we live, the demons' activity. But thirdly, now let's move on. Thirdly, the demons' limits. The demons' limits. If one of the great themes of Revelation chapter 9 is the power and the activity of demonic work, the other great theme of chapter 9 is surely the sovereignty of Almighty God. Did you pick up on some of the language throughout it? Chapter 9 and verse 1. I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft. By who? By God. Chapter 9, verse 3. From the smoke came locusts on the earth. They were given power like the power of the scorpions of the earth. Given by who? Given by God. Verse Four, it says that they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant, but the people who do not have the seal of God on the forehead. Who told them where they could go? It was God. Verse 5 speaks of them being allowed. Or if we move down to that sixth trumpet, verse 13. Okay, there in verse 13 we are told that uh, I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God. These are the horns where the blood of sacrifice was applied. It speaks of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And the idea here is that it is the ascended Christ himself 
who was slain and now risen, who is in control. And it was him who said to the sixth angel, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Who's in charge? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, release them. And so when are they released? Verse 15 tells us, these are the angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year. Exactly the time when God had appointed is when they went. Okay? And these demons don't do anything more than what they are allowed uh, to do. Uh, for, so, for example, we read of them, uh, this is back in verse 5, that they torment, these locusts torment for five months but they do not kill them. That is, for a season. They go so far and no further. And so the idea is simply this. It is that God holds all the control throughout all of their activity. The demons are, have, uh, intend things for evil, but God ultimately is in control. And so this world is not a world in which Satan and God are equals, vying for sovereign control. The Lord is on his throne even over these wicked demons. And in God's purposes, this demonic activity is serving as a kind of warning. This demonic activity is the fifth trumpet blast. It is the sixth trumpet blast. You remember these trumpet blasts are warnings to a world to turn from the judgment to come. And so even uh, this demonic activity is, serves God's purpose of warning people that they are in a world in which there is danger and there is no place of safety at all outside of the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. And so what must they do? They must come to Jesus Christ. And in Christ there is safety. Don't we read that as well? Verse 4, did you notice that? Who were the locusts told to harm? Only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Okay, we, we read about that at the beginning of chapter 7. The seal is what? It's the seal of being covered by the blood of Jesus and of having the Holy Spirit as a seal upon you. The seal refers to all who are true Christians. And the point is, is that these demons and all of their ferociousness and all of their sinister designs cannot ultimately touch any true child of God. Now, are we tempted by Satan? If you are a true child of God, are you subject to some of his schemes? Yes. But we have every resource we need. Remember, put on the full armor of God. You have the Holy Spirit. And you can resist the devil. And what is more, not only in resisting the devil, you can be assured of your ultimate security and triumph. No matter how great Satan is, no matter the 200 million that are described here of the vastness of his armies, he cannot touch a true child of the living God. And what good news that is. There are limits to these demons' work. But now let's move on finally, finally to this. Our necessary response our necessary response. This comes in verses 20 and 21. And there we read these words. And it's really a tragic ending to this chapter. 
that the rest of mankind who who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. In other words... They continued in their sinful course, rejecting God and his ways. And though it was these very things that Satan was enslaving them to and bringing them misery and torment in, that they choose amidst this demonic activity not to turn away from their sin, but to continue in it. They refuse, as it were, the only way out, which is, by the way, of repentance. It's very common for people to say something along these lines in the world in which we live. Why does God allow bad things to happen? A hurricane, a fire, cancer patient, a war. Could not God prevent that? Why does God do all of these things? Well, dear friend, you and I, in answer to that, can say we don't fully understand why God does the things that he does. But what we do know is one of the reasons that he does things like that are as a trumpet blast to get our attention so that we will repent. And the real hard question is not, why does God allow these things to happen? But the real hard question is this, is why when these things do happen, including the activity of demons. Why do you not turn from your sins and repent and seek the Savior, Jesus Christ? That, dear friends, is the real question. Does this not show that there is a sovereign God who is at work? Do these things in our world not show that there is a coming judgment day? Does not the activity of demons which enslave us to those sins that we love, does that not teach us that there are things that are beyond our control and we cannot help ourselves or bring ourselves joy or happiness or lasting satisfaction in the world? Does not do these things not show us that? So what is to be done? The Bible says the first word The first word that Jesus came to announce was this, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. What is the first word on the way back to God and finding God to be your life and your satisfaction? It is simply this, bring all of your sin and all of your rebellion and all the ways in which you've said no to God, Bring those before him and confess those sins and say, I am sorry, I have turned against you. Forgive me my sin and cover me in the blood of Jesus Christ, which can take away all my sin. Will you not come to him? And friends, when you come to Jesus Christ in this way, you will find that you will be in a place of safety and release from this demonic activity which we've spoken of today. Can you not allow the things that we've described to sound as a trumpet blast in your ear today? Oh, friends, Satan and his minions are 
greater, are real, and they are greater than you. And you and yourself are helpless against them. Turn to the Lord in repentance and faith. That is our necessary response. Might God lead us to do it. Let's turn to him in prayer. Lord, our God, we thank you for the book of Revelation, which teaches us by means of these scary pictures and images, real truth about what is happening in the world in which we live. We live in a scary world in which Satan is the prince of the power of of the air, in which there are rulers and authority and evil powers who are at work. And yet we thank you that the Lord Jesus has conquered and has won victory over them. We do pray for any today who are under Satan's power, who have not bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, would you grant to them the gift of repentance today? Would they not be like those described in verses 20 and 21? Though tormented by the evil one, they yet continue in unrepentance in all of their sin. O Lord in heaven, grant that it not be so. Give the gift of repentance to all who hear these words. And Lord, we pray that you would give that gift of repentance to many throughout the world. Lord, that they would avoid the judgment to come and find safety and true joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do these things, we pray. And Lord, we thank you that you are sovereign over all things. Help us to rest securely in you. And we do pray these things in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen.